0: Let's go ahead and jump right in. You know our two scriptures. I love to start with them. I won't belabor it. Matthew 25, 31 through 34, Jesus is talking about the kingdom and the king, the angels and the people and the nations, and then quickly becoming one of my favorite scriptures, Job 38, 33. God questions Job, do you know the laws of the universe and can you use those to regulate the earth? And that has kind of instigated our thinking and this has been where we've come from. So so far we've come a pretty good piece in. This is our ninth week in. And we've landed on this that if we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about the government of God and that God's government is going to be best understood inside parameters as he reveals and grows and moves through the Bible. So we found out that God is most high, his word is his authority, his wisdom is his life. It's about righteous fellowship. It was to, the kingdom is to fill the earth. The kingdom is about a name and a nation. We looked at Abraham. And then tonight, oh, buckle up. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. I was in a conversation this week and I made this comment. I said, Dear Lord, I've been saved my whole life. And uh, I said, I've opened up a can of worms with the Ten Commandments. It is becoming probably one of the most intriguing, uh, difficult, deep subjects is the Ten Commandments. Because this thinking right here. Of the Ten Commandments is going to carry itself out all the way until Jesus time frame so I'm going to try to do something a little different for you tonight I want to attempt to teach it in a way that maybe you've not heard before because as I always say there's there's thousands of great teachings out there YouTube videos and so I try to give you my take on it try to put my eyes on it and kind of focus in on something that may challenge you but this is what I want to look in. I'm going to give you these next uh, several points are going to come really quickly. And they're coming bam, bam, bam. So you're right at the front of your sheet, just write them down. Uh, because this is not my lesson, but I'm headed somewhere to understand why the Ten Commandments. Then after we look at why the Ten Commandments, the law, we're going to try to pull out what is the point behind all of it. And I pray you be blessed. So here's the first one. Here's what we've learned with Abraham. God chose a person to become a nation. So we left off with Abraham. I told you this would be part two this week. God chose a person to become a nation. But God, when he chose that nation, God had a ruler for his nation, and it was himself. He never intended for a king to rule. It was always God. God wanted to be at the top of his government, running the government. What we find out is that God had a rule for this nation. The first rule ever instigated, at least in my thinking, was circumcision and obedience. There was no Ten Commandments given to Abraham. There was no law on a rock given to Abraham. It was just God saying, hey, uh, here's what I want to know. With your first father, Adam, I had a simple command, don't eat the fruit. But with you, the way I'm going to know you're in a covenant with me is every male child that is born, the first male, will be circumcised. And so that becomes a rule that God had. There was no law at this time. There was no law really given to Abraham. He didn't walk around with a scroll in his hand. He walked around with a covenant, a covenant of circumcision between him and God. What we do find out, though, by the time we run through Genesis 14 all the way to Genesis 50, I would highly encourage you to read Genesis 50. It is probably one of the most eye-opening chapters of the Bible Because what it does is it it ends us with everything God had done from Adam until this point ends up in a coffin in slavery. So we start out the book of Genesis in a garden, we're free, and we end up the book of Genesis uh, in a coffin in slavery. It'll show you how really well sin will work. Sin will take you from the highest heights of God and bring you to the deepest depths of death. But the nation gets captured. Anybody want to tell me who captured them first? Egypt Egypt captures a nation and what we find out is this other nation This is where we get into the battle of the nations. This other nation had a ruler that ruler was called Pharaoh So God picked him a nation chose a nation gave that nation a rule You need to be circumcised over a length of time that nation becomes captured by a nation that has a ruler named Pharaoh And then number six that nation Egypt had rules Now, Egypt's rules were not circumcision and obedience. It was punishment and obedience. If you don't obey, we'll punish you. You'll make more bricks. We'll we'll tighten the noose around your neck a little bit. So what we're learning about government, real quickly, we can start deducing. By the time we get to Exodus chapter 1, 2, and 3, we can deduce that human governments are full throttle. And that governments are used by humans to control people, to enslave people, to manipulate people, to bring about fame of that person, whether it be a God, a king, or a nation. Number seven, what we find out, by the time we get to Acts chapter, I think about Acts, Exodus, excuse me, Exodus. About the time we get to Exodus 12, 13, and 14, we find out that this nation of Israelites chosen by God from Abraham that are now slaves to another nation with another king and another god, God shows up and delivers them. And God delivers his His nation from a nation. One of the most powerful stories is the deliverance of some 3 million plus people. The Bible says not one feeble one came out from among them. God did a supernatural thing. The Jewish feast of Passover was instituted at this time. And this is where it gets interesting. Because at this point, everything in the Bible is about to change. Everything in the Bible, in my opinion, everything in the Bible up until this point has been just stories that are really cool. It's like, oh, there's a story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's Rachel, there's Leah. It's really simple. By the time you come through God delivering his nation, everything begins to change. Because God is about to set up the rules. And God is not going to do just circumcision alone and God is not going to do, hey, here's here's my thinking, don't eat that fruit, my wisdom. God is going to lay it out so clearly that it won't be written on a heart or a mind and it won't be left up for you like Eve to misinterpret it. The first law God gave, don't eat the fruit, was misinterpreted by Eve because she repeated it back to the serpent. God said, don't touch it or eat it. God never told her not to touch it, so we learned one thing about God's law. Humans have the ability to misinterpret it. Come on, right? We have the ability. That's, that's why we have so many denominations today. We all read the same text in our own interpretation. That's what Eve did. So God said, all right, look, here's what we're going to do. Instead of going there, uh, I really want to kind of be clear, so I'm not just going to say it where you could misunderstand it. I'm going to write the thing down for you with my own finger. And I'm going to put it on a couple of stones. You're going to carry it around everywhere you go. And that becomes what will be known through the rest of the Bible as the law. Uh, The most mind-blowing subject of the law is the book of Romans. It it is just brilliantly written, but it really opens. And if you've ever wanted to know the power, I'm not going to teach this and I'll, I'll touch a little bit on it. But if you ever want to know the power of this thing called the Ten Commandments... And what kind of power it can wield over a human. Paul will say to the people in the book of Galatians. He will say to them. And know this if you don't know this already. The book of Galatians is the only group of people that Paul never gave thanks to God for. Every other group of people he says, I thank God. I thank God for. But with the book of Galatians he says this. I can't believe you're turning away from a gospel to another gospel. You foolish Galatians. I mean, he went for the throat with the Galatians because of the power of the law. Paul himself was bound to it and couldn't understand. A a lot of scholars believe that the reason Paul went into the wilderness for so long, some odd 14 years, is that's how long it took God to get that out of him. It's how long it took God to get the legalism out of him so that he could go and present the gospel of grace and mercy to people. Uh, That's why such the, uh, you know, the animosity between Peter and Paul when he comes in and says, you're a Jew, but you still act like, you act like a Gentile, but you force them to do rules and get circumcised. And he, and the Bible says in Galatians that Paul stood in front of Peter and rebuked him publicly in front of everybody for that little word at the very end, the law. So let's, let's not go into it pretty naive here. The subject we're about to pick up tonight is going to carry itself through the entire rest of the Bible, and uh, it it, it's deep. As a matter of fact, it's the law. And try to already thinking I think this is going to be my topic next fall, as we're just going to dive into the law and try to figure this thing out. So let's look at something Exodus chapter one, and then we're gonna I'm going to give you a precursor, and then I'm going to just list the Ten Commandments, and then give you something that I pray inspires you, excites you. It makes you want to be Pentecostal. (laughs) Exodus 1, 6. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children. So these are the kids of Abraham. All right? So now we're seeing his descendants, as numerous as the stars of the sky, this nation that God called in Abraham. They had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied. That sounds like they're obeying God, right? Remember Tower of Babel? Hey, multiply. Go fill the earth. They multiplied greatly and became extremely powerful, and they filled the land. Seems like they're doing the will of God. It seems like they're doing what God wanted Adam to do. Go fill the earth. What he told Noah's kids, go fill the earth. You're a nation. Take the earth. They do, but here here it comes. Know this. This is so powerful. Even when we do the will of God and we're doing everything God wants us to do, and we're prospering and we're multiplying and we're obeying, know this that at any given moment, of any given time, of any given day, there is another government that's working. That's right. It's a it's government of darkness, It's the government of Lucifer. He's working against you. And so here they are multiplying. They're doing well, but here, here's the beautiful thing in the peak. Eventually a new king came into power. In other words, there's another guy running the government. God is over his kids and they're being blessed, but there comes another guy that goes, oh, no, 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 I'm in charge here. It's my government. I'm going to do this thing. So watch what he does. Exodus chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than us. This is what the, the Pharaoh's saying. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slaves drivers. See, this is what government does. Government needs to control the subjects. Uh, Come on, Americans. The way I have to control you. Keep you under. I don't need you too free. I just need you free enough to think you're free, but not too free. I don't know if anybody remembers. This is just a, a preaching point. I don't know if anybody remembers. In, in 2020, when, as the end of 2019, into 2019, over in China, over they're they're marching in the streets, millions of people chanting USA. You and I looked at Robin. I said somebody's going to shut that down because they're getting way too free in a communist country. And a week later, the streets were emptied and there was a virus that was released and everybody's talking about a virus. And within less than six months, the entire world is shut down. So let's just understand that that when we talk government, we're talking government to be in charge has to enslave its people to have control. Because if I can't enslave you to whatever that is, I can enslave you through taxes, through fear, through prison time, through the IRS, whatever I want to do, through fear of death. Whatever it could be, but this is what's going on. So in hoping to wear them down and crush them, they forced them to build cities, uh, Python and Ramses, and supply centers for the king. But more, the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Beg- Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter, Forcing them to mix mortar and to make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in their demands. Now I just want to pick a few words out and then I'm going to make a comment. Here's what I want to do. I want to make a plan where you can't grow. But I'm going to slave drive you, wear you out and not have any mercy on you. And I'm going to make your life bitter and ruthless with demands. Now the issue with this is this to me, this verse is probably one of the most profound verses for what government really tries to do. The rules. The rules, it makes your life bitter. I don't want to do a rule. I don't want to go to work by seven. I don't want to wear that outfit. I don't want to obey. I get tense the moment somebody lays a rule out. I don't want to be enslaved to that. So it says they became ruthless in their demands. Now, just so you know how powerful this is, this same thing creeps into the church, and we'll get here in the future, that is the government of God. And what happens when the church is instituted as God's government, Lucifer knows that if God's church ever becomes what it needs to be, it will be able to shape the environment of the earth. So Lucifer infiltrates the kingdom of God and gets pastors and leaders who don't really get people free. They just embitter them and enslave them and make rules and demands for everybody to follow. And what we call it today is religion. And we're going to talk about that in depth, but it's not our story. Here's the thought tonight. One thing we will discover about God's government. Oh, man, this ought to make you shout. It was never meant to enslave you under a heavy burden never if you talk about God's government and you think it's a slavery if if you come to God and God says Mark clean your act up and you feel like me cleaning my act up is is God being a slave driver God doesn't come down and redeem you and then touch the sins in your life to make your life bitter he touches the sin to make you better God doesn't touch the habits and addictions in your life to enslave you to a bitter, wearisome thing. He touches it to make you free. It is for freedom that Christ has made you free. But there's this thing brewing that that people think that, that God is this slave driver that embitters our life, that once you come to Him, I can't drink, I can't smoke, I can't chew, I can't hang around those that do. Poor pitiful me, I can't even watch an R-rated movie anymore. I can't have fun anymore. And that was the joke years ago. Sinners have a great time. They don't even pray over anything, but then people get saved and i got to pray where to eat. Should I go to McDonald's or Wendy's? Tell me, Lord. Like we make it difficult. And I think God says, whatever hamburger you want. But what we're going to learn in the future, I won't go there tonight, but oh, it's going to be good. So uh, here's the thought, though. God never intended the law to enslave you. But it's exactly what happened to it. Because God is going to give ten commandments. Listen to this, Exodus 1.14. Gosh, it shouldn't be Exodus. I'm so sorry. It's Matthew. Uh, I think Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they're the officials, interpreters of the law of Moses... Though they practice whatever they tell you but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach they crush people With unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden I'm sorry. I didn't give you the correct, I, Matthew 27 somewhere in there it's, it's where Jesus is just wearing the Pharisees out you hypocrites you brood of vipers you it's kind of in that thinking now look Watch what humans do when they get off hold of God's government. They become professional interpreters of the law and they use it to crush you. They use it to crush you and make it unbearable and they don't even ease the burden. Now, it's that ease the burden is where I want to take you tonight. Because who would have ever thought the Ten Commandments, reading them, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, could be something that God was trying to show us that would ease the burden. Because here's the strange things. When God introduces it at ten, this is going to ease the burden, man. My law will ease the burden. 673 laws later they've added to it. It becomes something so profound that it just crushes people. Matthew chapter 11, this is what Jesus will say. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. I want you to understand that whatever God does in his government, whatever, no matter how tragic it looks... No matter how, we're like, ooh, how could God do this? Especially when we get into the book of Leviticus. How could God say that? How could God know that whatever is God, God is saying to us as humans from his government perspective, it is to bring us to a place of rest and ease the burden? Yeah. It may feel burdensome. Because any time a kid is trying to do something and a parent steps in and says, eh, eh, it's going to feel burdensome. But the eh, eh, is to bring you freedom. So, that's what Jesus is going for. Here's my thought. The goal of the law, of the Ten Commandments. So, when we talk the law, when we hear the law, most of the time, except with the exception maybe of a few places in the New Testament, we are talking about the Ten Commandments. And it will also typically be referred to as the Law of Moses. Across the board, so it can kind of be interchangeable. But the goal of the law was to bring you to a place of recognizing the futility of a human to achieve an unburdened life of righteous rest. You will find as we study it, and perhaps we will next fall, but you will find as you study the law that it is an impossibility. The Bible will say if you, if you keep one point or even break one, you're guilty of the whole thing. Guilty of the whole thing. You want to know how powerful the law is? Have a kid, let the kid get about three, and then tell that kid, don't put that bean up your nose. Parents, what will the kid do with the bean? It's going up his nose. It is is ingrained into us. The law to disobey is ingrained into us. It's given to us to show us the need of how futile it is. And I want to take you here. By the time we get to the New Testament, you will see how futile it is for you to try to lick your sinful behavioral habits By simply making rules. All right, I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm giving this up. I can do this. Your best way is to look in the mirror and go, I cannot do this. I cannot overcome this addiction. It is impossible. I have made rules. For those of us that are trying to lose weight, I I have done 42 diets. I fail every time. I make the rule that I'm only going to eat chicken and broccoli. I do so well for about 20 pounds that we even say it this way, and I fall off the bandwagon. What you mean by that is you set a failure up because you gave yourself a rule that you couldn't do. Now, I'm not against discipline. Discipline's a good thing. But what God is trying to bring us to is there's not one thing you can do on this planet that will ever make you right with him or bring you rest. And that's, what, that's where he's going to take us. I wrote this sentence down. One of the best things to do, because I'm going to take you here in the future, one of the best things for you to do is to say, I can't do it no matter how hard I try. There's a scripture tucked away beautifully. In the book of Galatians, remember the book about the law that Paul's really miffed with them all? There's a nice scripture tucked away in Galatians 5. And it lists all the works of the flesh. And then it's, it has this tagline in it. If you ever want to read it, it and again, we will discuss it when we get to that section of our class. But to whet your appetite, it says this. And when you're talking about life by the Spirit, against such, there is no law. And that is a difficult place to tell a Christian, when you get born again, there are no rules. You're free. You're free. You mean I can do anything I want? Absolutely. Anything you want. You do anything you want. Just know this, though. If you're walking with the Holy Spirit, He ain't going to let you do what you want. But I can do what I want, right? Oh, you can do anything you want. Anything. I can smoke weed, anything. I can drink a beer, anything you want to do. I can keep cussing, anything you want to do. But just know this. When you're born of the Spirit and you walk by the Spirit, He becomes the law. So the law is not a rule. The law is a person. And that person will keep you in check. It won't be a rule going. ooh. It'll, it'll be a, hu- a, a being, a God in you going. Can I do that? You can. Okay. Eh, 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 eh. Oh, we call it conviction. Mm. Man, I got convicted. So I'll teach you that in the future, because you, you start telling Christians there's no rules, they freak out. <laughs> we have to have rules. People will go chaos if we don't have rules. And I'm like, yeah, that's because we don't teach the baptism of the Spirit like we should. We don't teach the Spirit. We we, we like rules. It it makes it a lot easier than trying to teach you how to hear something and follow it. Let's look at them. Oh, man, this is where it gets fun. Now, on your worksheet, you're going to have a blank and then an extra blank to the side. That extra blank to the side on your worksheet, save it. We're going to fill those in. All right, so nothing major about what we're gonna do. We're just gonna run through all 10 of them, and then I'm gonna try to tell you what I think God was trying to do here. Now, here's something interesting you're God, you're eternal, right? Why 10? Why not three? Why not six? Why not seven, which is the number of rest? Why not eight, which is the number of new beginnings? Why ten? Because it balanced out on the rock better, five and five. And ten, you really think ten commands could control humans? It's why we added another 673. We're smarter than God. Why I mean litter if you want to rack your brain, why would the eternal God only give ten and then why these ten? Because I don't need the one that says don't murder. I've never even felt like I needed her Well, one time I did but I've never <laughs> Well, I thought about it one time. There was a person I thought oh if I wasn't saved. Oh, man I'd kill him with killing him softly with his love, you know <laughs> Like like some of them just like, I don't know, covet my neighbor's house, Maybe The guy next door does have a really nice backyard. I get that one. So uh, so I don't know. Why did he pick those? Like, like what's God thinking when he said, I really need to tell them not to covet their neighbor's house? Like, okay, but they all live in tents. Like what? They're nomads. What are you talking about? Thou shalt not murder. Like... They should all get along with each other. So I want to tell you why I think he picked these ten and only ten. Okay? Here's the first one. Hopefully you know them. These are probably, uh, forgive me, guards, forgive me. These are not in King James. So these are, I'm sorry, guard, please help him, Lord. I already felt guard like that. That's not a thou shalt not. So, so you probably do know them, thou shalt not, and then committed what they are. But this comes from the new living. So I tried to make it. But here's the first one. You must not have any other gods but me. Well, that's pretty simple. Let's start out. You guys have been struggling with it since the Garden of Eden. So let me just throw that one out there first. Everybody's struggling. That's why, that's why I nuked everybody. It says this, and the Lord God gave these instructions. I am the Lord. This is Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt and the place of your slavery. So God kind of opens up with, let's talk about slavery in Egypt. Let's talk about this other government I rescued from it, so hey, let's go back to the thing. You must not have any other gods before you. So that's simple, not a hard one. Here's the second one. You must not make any idols, but love only me. Now, this is a strange thought. Now, think about why he would need to say this one. He would need to say this one because they were coming out of quite a long while of living in Egyptian slavery, seeing all the other gods. Everybody's probably got a little god in their house, the sun god, the crocodile god, the Nile god. It's just what they did. Matter of fact, we know this is true because by the time God gives this one, they're already down there making a god. Everybody remember that story? He's up there, thou shalt have no other gods but me. And then they're down at the bottom of the mountain going, let's make us a god. God. And let it be a cow. It's the cow that brought us out of Egypt. Uh, I'd love to teach that. It's an interesting thought of why they chose that. But he said, you you can't make any other God. Here's the scripture, Exodus 20. You must not make an idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them and worship them. This is all Exodus 20. For I am the Lord your God, and I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But, oh man, I lavish unfailing love. Come on, Jesus, for a thousand generations to those who love me. Come on, grandmama. Grandmama you loving Jesus for a thousand generations. You love the Lord. He'll be your children your grandchildren your great-grandchildren your great-great-grandchildren So don't think you're just coming to church for you Don't think you're just coming to church to hear a word today so I can get through the day If you serve the Lord God counts that to your generations coming down the road So my grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to reap the seeds of their great-great-great-grandparents. Because of what these two people did who don't even know them. There'll be a picture on a wall and hey, remember when. And there'll be little kids running around serving God because they... Come on, Jesus... So God said, all right, boys, here's what we're going to do. Don't you make an idol? Don't you walk around with something in your hand and like that? that's what delivered you, a cow? Walking around with some wooden stick that you think has a voice? Oh, no, no, I'm different than other nations, boys. I'm not some wooden idol that doesn't have a voice. I'm a speaking God, and I have power. Oh, man, so, so you can see kind of the first two are God-like, Yeah, you know, fellas, I just don't tolerate all this other stuff that other people do. Already letting us know my law and government's going to be different than anything you've ever been in. The third one. It's almost kind of like God's angry at first. The must nots come first. Like he's like, I'm just going to let them have it first. You must not, you must not, and then this one. You must not misuse God's name everybody's got an opinion on what that means don't say gd don't say the, the d word and then put god's name on it everybody's got an opinion of what it is but but what you find out in the new testament by the time jesus comes is jesus will pretty much simplify it for us he says there's a lot of you out there that in my name cast out devils and well, i don't even know who you are you're just a worker of iniquity So it's not that I said the D word and then added God at the end of it. It's that I'm out here acting like I have his authority when he doesn't even approve of my life. So to sit around and act like you're a prophet that prophesies and hears the Lord, but you you don't even live the way you're supposed to be living according to Scripture where God would say, I can approve that, that's misusing his name. You're trying to give yourself authority and because you... Now watch. Well, I must be anointed. I waved my coat and everybody fell out in the spirit. Oh, no, no, no. They may have fallen out in the spirit and you're nothing more than a worker of iniquity. Right? Okay, I don't need to touch that one. That stung, I guess. (laughs) Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. The next one. This is the verse, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And then this phrase. Because if you do. Doesn't it sound like a Daddy. If you do, you will not go unpunished. What? So now what we learn about this God that says, I will lavish you with love for a thousand generations if you obey me is also the same God that says, but bro, you disobey me, I'll spank you. So now he tells me that he's a God that doesn't just overlook our sloppy behavior but he's a God that disciplines us. Hebrews chapter, seven, Hebrews chapter uh, 11 and 12, actually 12. He's a God that chastens. That's right. He disciplines the children he loves. One version says if he doesn't discipline you, you're like a bastard child. So let's just don't think that the love of God is all we need. It's not. He would be a sloppy God if he initiated a government that said it's just all based on love. It is based on love, but know this, if you don't follow what I've set up, you will be punished. Right. And just watch that. Man, book of Judges. You want to see this one play out? Book of Judges. Yeah. One, one week they're blessed, next week they're, they're you know, in captivity, taken up. And it's just this for the entire book of Judges. And it typically goes like this. They were doing really good and then they decided to do their own thing. Now they're doing really bad and it got super bad and then they decided, oops, it's bad. We better go back and do good. They went back and do good. Everything went well. That's the entire book of Judges. All right. Number four. Finally, God got it off his chest. Whew. Honor the Sabbath and just keep it holy. I can understand this one. This is all these kind of first four sort of it's just kind of God and his character and what he's been dealing. Think about it. He's been dealing with Motley crew humans for thousands of years. And we know he's a little irritated with them because he even tells Moses in this thing as he's talking to him. He said, if you read the story, it's mind-blowing because he literally tells Moses, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I will I'm going to kill him. Like Moses is up here getting these things. And God just looks down and says, you know what? It repents me that I have even made these people. Now, you know that you've already annihilated the majority of the human population. And you're sitting here setting your government up. And you're looking down in the field. You got one dude only. And all the rest of the people that could be part of your government has broke your first rule, your second rule, and your third rule. And they hadn't even gotten the rule yet. And so God just goes, you know what? I'm just going to nuke them. and to kill them. I'm just going to start all over and make me a new nation. You, Boy, you ever want to know the power of, of, of an intercessor? God, man, don't do that. I mean, come on. You kill them all, they're going to think, what in God's name are you? And because, here's what's weird. Because of one man's intercession, God staved off. Killing an entire nation of people So don't you ever think that you sitting there On your knees praying for God to touch The nation of America will have no impact One intercessor One intercessor Oh God don't let This happen to my nation God And one intercessor can shift an entire Nation around Don't ever think you don't have power when you kneel down To talk to the God that created it all Here's the scripture, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath, God said. Keep it holy. Now you got six days to do you. Aren't you glad God's nice to us? You go fish and do everything you need to do to work. But on that seventh day, it's a Sabbath day of rest that's dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household needs to do any work. Come on, kids. All the kids should love this one. (laughs) Mom, it's Sabbath. I don't even need to do chores. Nobody works on a day. This includes you, your sons, and your daughters. Woo! Praise God, my girls, every day's a Sabbath. (laughs) Honey, honey, it's Monday. It ain't a Sabbath yet. Oh, you know? He said, Your male and your female servants, your livestock, your foreigners living among you, for six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. That's a good thought. This is my Genesis class. This is a very good thought. God Himself said that He made the the earth in, in six days. So if you ever think, did he make them in uh, millennia, ages? God himself says, I'll read it. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And the sea and everything else. But on the seventh day, he rested. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. All right? The fifth commandment. Oh, man, every if you ever raised a kid, you know this one. <laughs> Might not know where it's found in the Bible, but I can quote it. Uh, Honor your father and your mother. Now, here's something very interesting. I'm not going to teach this, but for those of you that love this study. Notice something in the first three commands. Must not, must not, must not, and then honor and honor. What's going to be happening here is we're going to start understanding what the Lord is going for. Because what the Ten Commandments will do is it will reveal the heart of dishonor. That humans don't honor God. Now, the reason this is so powerful, even though God wants honor, is because they would have never killed Jesus had they honored God. So, it's an interesting thought of why he chose honor. So, he says this, Exodus twenty twelve: Honor your father and mother and then you'll live a long, full life. I love that. In the land your Lord God has given you. Ephesians chapter 5, I believe, will pick this thing, same concept up, that that we get a long life. Come on, young people. If you're young, uh, your parents are still alive. The Bible makes you a promise. You honor your mom and dad, you're going to have a really long, good life. You're going to have a long, good life. My dad's 86 years old. I'm 57. I could easily tell him, Dad, I'm an adult. I can do what I want to do. That man's alive right here. That woman's alive right there. There's not one thing I do in my life that I think is important that I don't run it by them. Say, before I do this, I'd like to know how y'all feel because I want to honor you. Because if I do, it's going to go well with this old boy. I may have the enemy attacking me over here, but I'm honoring over here. It's going to go well for me. It's a promise. It's not luck. It's a promise. That's why you probably find a lot of kids get bitter at their parents today because the enemy needs the bitterness so he can destroy a long, fruitful life. He doesn't have to make you sick and kill you with cancers and stuff. He just needs to get you bitter at your parents and he'll ruin your life that way. All right, number six, they get really simple now. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery. I guess God knew that we would be killing each other and sleeping around with other people we weren't married to. You must not steal. That's a good one. You must not bear false witness, meaning lie. Make up false stories. Deceive people. And you must not covet your neighbor's house. So let's just check them out. That's all ten of them seven not, eight must-nots, and two honors. Now, the question as we look at all ten of them is they seem legit. I think I even heard someone say one time that whether you're a Christian or not, if you would just apply them, your life would go better. You don't even have to believe in Jesus. Just apply these, and your life would go better just in principle. Uh, so powerful was the United States of America that when we started our country on our money and in our schools, the Ten Commandments was everywhere. They were hung in every school. You, you had to know, in public school, I'm not go Christian school. Public school, you would stand up and quote the Ten Commandments. They were at the courthouse. They were everywhere. And then the devil got ticked. Got a little upset. Christians got lazy and took them all down. Now they're, oh God, don't even say it. You're a sorry, no good, racist, bigoted, homophobe, whatever you are, if you dare have the Ten Commandments. People fight over it, spit over it, get mad over it. But here they are. And uh, they're so powerful that it was multiple thousands of years ago when God gave them, and they're still talked about today. So I'm going to read through them one more time. You must not have any other gods but me, and you must not make idols but love only me. You must not misuse my name. You need to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You need to honor your father and your mother that will go well with you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not bear false witness, and you must not covet your neighbor's house. Now, as I read these, I just was intrigued because I got to this point in my study, and I thought, okay, so what? There's the ten. Like, what way do you go with them? Do we go to the New Testament and talk about the law? Do we go to Jesus and the Pharisees arguing over legal stuff? Like, can you go get your donkey out of a ditch on the Sabbath? Like, where do we want to go this? There's so many ways we go. Do we want to pull out Paul's teaching, talk about his struggle with the law? Uh, so, uh, man, I wrestled with it. Uh, matter of fact, I wrestled so long, I just walked away from my desk yesterday and just thought, all right, God, I'll come back tomorrow and you just... Got to download it, or I'm gonna have to pick somewhere to go. So, um, so I, I had what I want to teach you because I went back through all of those again today and I read through them very slowly and I read the scriptures again very slowly that I read to you and I put out to the side the words that were also included. As either a promise of God or as a a side note that went with the command so the first command was you remember God said it this way Exodus 20 verse 1 I am the God remember who rescued you from what from slavery so before he even gives the very first commandment of Thou shalt have no other gods. God steps into the equation. And then I, when I read it, I thought, oh, man, I've just missed this. What did I? And then, it, you know, how God, you see some, one thing and 50 start coming. And so I thought, wow, I am the God that rescued you. So before God even gets into 10, he says, I rescued you from slavery. So I wrote this out to the side. The first commandment is about rescue. There's no other God but me because I'm the one that's going to rescue you. There's no other help. There's no other addiction. There's no other substance. There's no other nothing. I am the rescuer. Amen. I'm going to rescue you. So that's why I don't want you to have any other gods because I'm the rescuer. You're going to think it's a God of the Nile. You're going to think it's some magician named Janies or Jambries. It's me. It's not a cow. It's not a goat. I am the God of rescue. Now that is so powerful that by the time they get into the promised land a long while later and they're going to talk to Rahab the harlot. Anybody want to remember what Rahab in Jericho said? We have heard about y'all that your God annihilated the Egyptian gods and we've been dreading this day all along. Right? Right? That's how powerful this was. The next commandment, you must not have any idols, but love only me. And then you remember, we read on. We didn't just stop there. We kept reading. And God said, if you will obey me, I will lavish you with an unfailing love. I will lavish you with an unfailing love. In other words, Mark, when you're thinking about my commandments, don't think burdensome. Think lavish love. So I wrote that one lavish love Then the third one you must not misuse my name Because what will I do if you do? I'm gonna punish you old boy All right, so I wrote punishment out I went on to the next one. You must honor the Sabbath and keep it holy because why because the seventh day is a blessed rest It's the blessed rest that I want you to have so I wrote out blessed rest Number five, honor your father and mother. Why? What's the promise? I'll give you long life. Number six, you must not murder. Why? That's wrongful death. I mean, come on, it's one thing to kill somebody, but, but murder is wrongful death. You intentionally did it wrongfully. And you shall not commit adultery. Why? Because adultery is a broken covenant. You're married to a spouse. You don't go sleep with another chick. That's breaking the covenant. Number eight, you must not steal. Why? Because if you steal, you're taking what doesn't belong to you. Number number nine, you must not bear false witness. Why? Because false witness is deception. And then number ten, you must not covet your neighbor's house. Why? Because that's a different family. Now, I just went through and wrote all those down in blue, and this is what I, the sentence I've come up with. Rescued of lavish love, punishment, blessed rest, long life, wrongful death, broken covenant by taking what does not belong through deception to a different family. So I took all those promises that went with the Ten Commandments because my mind is going, why these ten? What's the point of the ten? Why not twelve? Why not six? So I wrote them out. I got twelve blue words. I took the twelve blue words. I put them into a sentence for you. This is what I think the message of the Ten Commandments, why the ten, why they were written, why they were given, with the promises that went with them, and this is it. I, the Lord, will rescue you from slavery. Slavery with a lavish love through a punishment that will bring you a blessed rest of long life because of a wrongful death and a broken covenant that put you into a family where you didn't belong all because of lies and deception. That's what the Ten Commandments are teaching us. The Ten Commandments are going to teach me that God is going to rescue me with a lavish love And that lavish love will only happen through a punishment. But that punishment will bring me a blessed rest of long life. But that punishment will be a wrongful death. It will be a murder. But that wrongful death will happen because of a broken covenant of humans between God. And the reason of the broken covenant and the punishment has to happen is because those humans are in a wrong family. And the reason they're in a wrong family, they never belonged there to begin with. But the reason they got in the wrong family is because of lies and deception that went all the way back to Lucifer so when God lays the ten commandments out it's not just because he's saying I just think I don't want people to steal a fork (laughs) you shall not steal because nothing more irritates you somebody takes my fork what if because he's so eternal that when he gave the ten he was thinking about Jesus what if in the ten commandments he was telling us the gospel story This is the story of the gospel. Oh, here's where it gets really fun. Exodus 24. You have to read forward. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on this mountain and stay there and I will give you... Oh, here's where it gets so good. I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and the command and you can teach them to the people. So now we see... I guess God in His brilliance... Could God not have written it anywhere? God could have written it on papyrus. God could have taken a stick and said, I'm going to etch it into a tree. God could have written it across the sky in the clouds. He's God. But no, the eternal God... decided the best way to teach you this message... which I think, in my opinion, is pointing to the revealed Christ is I'm going to etch it onto stone. So God etches. I'm, I'm assuming. I watched the Charlton Heston movie. He, he inscribed a little fire, came down and wrote five, and then wrote five, and he carved it out. And you remember, he, Charlton Heston comes down off the mountain, and he's carrying the two big stablet tone, the stone tablets. Here's what he says in Exodus 24, or, or Exodus 32, verse 9. Exodus 32, 9. This is so interesting. My my mind is just like, are you kidding me? And the Lord said, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Come on. This is this loving God. Now just leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I'm going to destroy them. But then, Moses, I'll make you into a great nation. See, God's always going after a nation. Always, He can annihilate every human, but he'll always save at least two to make a nation. And his nation is going to be a people that let him govern. And if you don't let me govern, I'll destroy you, but I will raise up. So, So listen, I don't know how weird you think church is right now. This old woke ideology of church people. Let me tell you this. No matter how rebellious we get, God will raise up a generation of people who will be a nation of people. Who will represent him and walk with him? Yes. Oh, it'll never get so woke that the church is gone. Amen. All right. Well, oh, it gets better. And Moses, Exodus thirty-two fifteen, turned and went down to the mountain. He held in his. Oh, get get the picture. Everybody got the picture. He held in his hand the stone tablets Inscribed with the terms of the covenant Oh, it's just a great sermon It's a great object lesson Bearded Charlton Heston With his robe flowing They're down there worshiping a cow This is the God that brought us out of Egypt And you're holding the first two commandments You shouldn't do that And you need to thank me Because he's about to kill you And I prayed him out of it Right? So that's the the object lesson. Watch. These tablets were God's work and they were his words that were written by God himself. And when Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below, he exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. And Moses replied, no, it's the shout, not of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. Oh, it gets better. He walks down, and when he came near the camp, Exodus 32, 19, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. I, I, now, this is the way I take that in my brain. I think at that moment, he's saying, Dad, blame it. Why did I pray for these people? <laughs> Dumbest prayer I've ever prayed. I should have. I almost think he turned around and go, can I take that prayer back? Can, I just, can you just kill him? Like, I got to work with this motley crew of people. That's what I think when it says he burned with anger. He's like, man, I just wasted a good prayer. Like, think about that a minute. I don't have time to preach on it, but it sure would make a good sermon if you're a preacher. Think about you're so powerful in your prayer life that you shifted God's mind. But then when you shifted his mind, you're like, dude, I shouldn't have done that. Wasted that prayer. (laughs) So he did what anybody with anger, hot anger, could do. You'd have to be married to a man to know this. He threw the stone tablets to the ground and smashed them at the foot of the mountain. Now, I don't know. I don't know if he asked. I don't know if he said, Listen, I know I prayed that prayer, and I know you just burnt this stone. Now, I don't know when he tossed them if God's like, Dude, what did you do that for? I just did the first... Thank God. Thank God a minute. I've never done that ever. I've never walked down and like took my hand and wrote something. That's the first little book I've ever written and you just destroyed it. I don't know what God's thinking. I just know Moses is ticked. He's holding two stone tablets. He smashes them to the ground. We pick up the story later in Exodus 34. <laughs> like only God can do. I love God. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he did it with a, oh. <laughs> but the Lord told Moses, I love this though. I'm not going to chisel the stones this time. You're going to chisel. Them. <laughs> I'm okay that you broke the door off the hinges. I bought a new door. You're hanging it, <laughs> you know? So that's kind of the way I read that. Like God says, you, you, you did it, boy. Chisel me two new stone tablets like the first one. In other words, I'm going to be making sure they look just like the ones I did. So he does it, and then God in in his grace. So if you ever want to know faith without works, it's a beautiful test. that He had to do the work, and then God brought the power. I'll write on them. God writes the same words that were on the tablets that you smashed. I love God how God just kind of throws them under the bus. You smashed them. So Moses chiseled it out, the two tablets of stone like the first one, and early in the morning he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. I think that's so interesting of what God is about to do and what the Lord is trying to do. As we go on, I, I'm just going to read a few, because I, I need to end, but I want to read a few Exodus 34, after he comes down out of the cloud, I'm just going to pull a bunch of scriptures now and end. He came down out of the mountain and he called to the Lord with his own name, Yahweh, and God passed in front of Moses and said, I'm Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. Look at this. This is after the Ten Commandments, after God wanted to kill them, after the commandments were smashed, the stones were smashed. God shows up and says, I'm a God of compassion. And then it says of himself, again, I'll lavish, unfailing love. And then again, I will forgive iniquity. Like in the middle of this Ten Commandments scenario, we we get a God that says, I want to kill you, I'm angry with you, but I'm going to give you the law. But know this, I'm an unfailing, compassionate, merciful God that will forgive your iniquities. Oh man, that's beautiful. He goes on in Exodus 34, 8. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and started worshiping. And Moses said, Oh Lord, if it's true that I've found favor, there's a beautiful word, then please travel with us. Yet this stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity. Oh, I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's the last verse, verse 9. He says, Claim us as your own special possession. And what we learn here at this moment and this prayer is that the reason God wanted a people with a government that he was in charge of is he wanted to prove to all the other nations that this was his special possession. They would be different than anybody, treated differently than anybody, and they would represent God on planet Earth as his own special possession. So here's the thought. God pulls a nation out of a nation and sets them up and says, here's the the law of my government. And God lays out the law of his government. And as he's laying out the law of his government, his subjects, his own special possession are breaking every law. So he writes the law on the stones. He crushes the stones on the ground. He takes the guy back up. He writes ten more. He comes down with the ten commandments again. And this nation is established at this moment to be a nation of God's laws as his own special possession. But the story that's so interesting is why the Ten Commandments and why the stones. Here's what I think. 1 Peter 2. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people. But he was chosen by God. Here's these words. For great honor. What if the reason God picked stones and wrote his word with his own finger. He even said these are my words. Written on a stone. That if you obey them, will bring you favor and righteousness and honor. But, But the moment I wrote them out, you rebelled against them, so I crushed the stones and I wrote them again. It suddenly becomes, I wonder if God's not writing on the stone and the stone's being crushed, if it's not an object lesson of the life of Jesus who will come. That He will be the Word of God, written, He will be the Word of God that will come. He will be the the Logos of God that will come in the flesh. And when the Logos of God comes in the flesh, he will be called the stone that the builders rejected. My name will be inscribed over him, for the dove will come down and land upon his head and say, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But they will reject him and they will crush him on the ground. And they will, he, he will go into pieces. His body will be broken. And then it says this in Peter 2, 6 and 7. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem. Chosen for great honor. This is Peter. And anyone who trusts him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him will recognize the honor God has given him. But to those who reject him. Are you thinking Ten Commandments here? The stone... That the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Watch. The stone, 10. That the builders rejected, come back up here, boy. We're going to get 10 more. Why? I just, because it's the cornerstone. I know you just trashed them and they were rejected and they were broken. But I bring you down and you will hold them in your hand. Because the stone the builders rejected is still the cornerstone. So in this ten that got destroyed and crushed that were stoned, the hand of God written of the Word of God becomes the ten that are carried throughout the Old Testament that become the hand and the Word of God in the flesh that will be thrown down before broken humanity to rescue them, to deliver them, to lavish them with love, to be punished for them because of a forgotten uh, family of people that were taught in deception. Oh, it gets better. And he said, 1 Peter 2, verse 8, he is the stone that makes people stumble. He is the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't obey the word and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. It almost sounds like we're back in Exodus. But you're not like that. Sounds like we're back in Exodus. You're a chosen people. Oh, come on, he's not talking about Israelites now. He's talking about you. You're royal priest. Oh, and don't you ever think I forgot I'm making a nation. You're a holy nation. Oh, and don't you ever forget, it's been about my family and my possession. You are my own possession. I've never changed, I've not changed since I set my government up with Adam and Eve. I have not changed with Noah, I didn't change with Abraham, I did not change with Moses. I brought a rock of offense that was crushed for you because I want a possession, and the possession I want are my kids who are a nation that will bring my government to the earth. Amen. That's profound. He said, and the reason I do this is so you can show people the goodness of God. For I've called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Oh, Lord, listen to verse 10. Once you had no identity, but now you're my people. I want you to understand as we close this one thought. God, from the beginning of time when he made Adam, was to have a people who would be a nation, who would have his government, who would fill the earth and would bring about the glory of God. And every time he tries it, every blooming time, Lucifer thwarts it. I challenge you that wherever you go in the Bible to define, I'll give you this, maybe go this way, uh, I'll give you the seven beginnings of everything that God wanted to do. We may go there. But at every beginning of what God does, Lucifer always comes in to destroy government. Come on, we get into Acts chapter 1, yay! Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, thousands are being saved. Acts chapter 4, oh, it's wonderful, God's doing miracles. Acts 5, Satan's in the church. Didn't take him long. Just showed right up with Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, no, 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 no. You're trying to come in and thwart God's government. So I wrote this out. If, if somebody asks you, what, what did the Ten Commandments tell us about the government of God? Now that's my point. What did the Ten Commandments tell us about the government of God? So I wanted to take the Ten and look at what does it say about government. This is what I wrote. The Ten Commandments teaches us that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone so I may belong to God and be his very own possession. That is why God started with the Ten Commandments. That's why they were written on rock. That's why the rock was crushed. That's why the rock was held in the hands. That's why the rock was never, ever, as far as we know, ever did God deviate from this. God never went back and said, Yeah, take away number two. I didn't mean it. He never deviated. Now, we added to it, but he never deviated from the 10. And I think the reason he wrote the 10 and never deviated from the 10 is the 10 commandments tell the story of the redemptive work of Christ because Christ is the stone that was rejected, that would forgive you, that would bring you into a new family. So you could belong to God in His very own, and what does that lead us to? It's what I've said every time about his government, "The stone who possesses me is Jesus." Amen. So I'm trying to build a thought that at every point God reveals His government, it's to teach us something about Jesus. It's how powerful this is going to be. So let's pray Father.